Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on December 13th, 2019, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat, as we continue our discussion over the lore book aspect. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 And this is the crocheting fiend, green-eyed music lover acceptable and last but not Yay. least in the hot seat as guest goes works. we you, have our good friend every Paige. time Paige, how are Hi you guys. doing i'm doing great i get you every time with my different yeah, names every time i listen to focus fire you come up with something just totally out of left field it's great i try it's like for a, a while bit. there i was attempting to yeah i know i was attempting to write it down because you know you had the voice of a flower adjusted and then he would have his weird names and she's like you know i'm just gonna do descriptors because those are way easier than actual names oh yeah but yeah but blue we are in the advanced episode yep so let's just jump right into it so where do you want to just start at the beginning you think that's the easiest way to to go into this? I mean, I'd say it's chronological, but it's, it's not. not. Yes. It's time travel. <laughs> it gets wibbly-wobbly really fast. It gets really wibbly-wobbly. Uh, I think it's interesting how it starts and ends very similarly, but, um, you know. Right. That's I also think, a I, thing. I mean, the other thing that I, I just, like, you know, on that note... The names, <laughs> the names of the entries themselves, um, is and I and I know this is obviously probably done purposely, but oh, like for sure. the name, like oh well, and like as you get deeper into like the actual definitions of the names, it's like yep. I was like I was like oh that probably has something to do. No, it has everything to do with it. Um, I am so glad you put that in the show notes because that was the first thing I wrote down on my notes. And I'm like, I'm oh, hoping I, someone caught on to this. Oh my gosh. Like the <laughs> because thing, the, then it the started bookends, clicking throughout it. The book and like, entries are the ones that kill me though. The realists and irrealists. Like mm-hmm, that was that mm-hmm. was the thing that I was like I'm like, okay. So so for example, realists is the first entry. And realist is a what's called a grammatical mood, which is used to principally indicate that something is a statement of fact. Um, so basically, it's expressing what the speaker considers to be a known state of affair. Uh, the example mm-hmm. would be something like, he works. Uh, this is a direct assertion wi- about reality in regards to the present indicative of the word work. So if, if I say that he works, that means that I am, you're, he is working. 
like right now currently he is doing something it is real right now um yep. and then and to, and to jump a little bit ahead irreals is the exact opposite and that's where and those are the, that's the first and the last entry so it's like it's a very interesting dynamic going on and like the evolution of the definitions as you go through corresponds with the content of those entries very closely and so you know again we'll, we'll definitely probably touch on them each each one as we go but that was one that stood out like stood out huge that that one and then um i think it's italic was the other one and we talked about mm-hmm. that one a little bit yep um italic has very interesting connotations within regards to not just the context of its card but actually the whole book because italic is discussing the concept of a terminology or the use of language to indicate a goal or an endpoint. So italic is actually something that doesn't have an endpoint, whereas telic is something that does. And so having an entry that's called atelic is an interesting component. Uh, and then also this, the the entry in itself is talking about the Vex in the garden, and it's an explanation of time from the Vex perspective, or from from a perspective of someone who is pretty familiar with the Vex, um, and that's there the one that's go. Tevis. And so, and that's where we were kind of talking in the introductory session about the 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 analogy of time as a river. Um, it was really, it's just again, it's like. Those three were just the ones that immediately stood out to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, oh gosh, yeah. I actually, so I read them all the first couple times and then I went back and I'm like, something like, I'm missing something here. So I went back and looked up the definitions after I read the book. And it was so uncanny how, mm-hmm. how directly it, not not necessarily affected, but like summarized the entry. Right. Yes. Yes. That. Yeah. That. That was. Yeah. Because you can look at each entry's name and be like, oh, so basically that's what happens in the story of that entry. Do we want to get into the actual thing that happened in Realis? Sure. Sure. So, in Realis, the Undying Mind lies in the garden, a ruin of metal given over to greenery, a barrow rising out of black soil rich with nitrogen and thought. Everything in the garden becomes of the garden eventually. Shed leaves decompose and fertilize the soil, so do the bones and unspoken ideas of everyone who couldn't find the end of the maze. So do the wordless songs of the Vex Gardeners. They walk between the leaves, encouraging growth, laying down their bronze pathways, the only straight lines in all the garden's tangles. The Vex weed themselves into the garden, and the garden returns the favor. Harpies patrol in the air as goblins do on the ground, their veins wafting in still air on their endless, untiring rounds. The pathways lie dull against granite, no powers run through them, not since the heart stopped beating, but the Vex of the Soul Divisive have programmed themselves to worship the darkness. It has given them power before, and the Vex understand time. What has happened before is, somewhere, still always happening. What will happen is happening now. Soil that lies fallow for a season will recover and 
will recover and produce again, power that wanes will wax again, if the ground is ready for it. The harpies stop where they are, a shudder run through, running through each of them in order from one end of the garden to the other, a flicker, a wash of power, coming from somewhere distance, a pulse. The power it carries lights up the pathways. The mind's eye blinks for a bare moment under its blanket of lichen. The power passes through the garden, overruns the vex machinery within it, floods the network beyond it, a moment held like the shore after the tide rushes out, motes of something that isn't dust shake in the air. The bronze pathways hum, a counterpoint to the goblin song, and the garden's door vibrates with them. First question, which pulse do we know? Uh, I can't say conclusively. (laughs) I don't think we have like a conclusive answer to that. I mean, is we have mentions of pulses later on in the in the cards, which referring specifically to like pulses that um, Pradith like feels or senses. It's not necessarily this the pulse that we all probably thought of initially, mm-hmm. which is the pulse of the traveler going right, back out. Right. right. Though that does in like not necessarily suggest, but it does at least bring to light that imagery. But the garden has lied laid dormant mostly since the death of the heart. But there's another card that talks about how the Vex are trying to regrow the heart mm-hmm. or at least protect the heart. So this one doesn't necessarily mention that, but maybe it's an instance of the heart coming back. Yeah, I mean... pulse? Hmm. Not sure. I mean, we killed the undying mind. That's something that has been said multiple mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. from a couple different characters, Osiris and Ikora. Which, by the way, still bugged by the fact that the teleported... They just transmatted it. Like, Vexgate. I know, but, like, it still bugs me. Actually, my personal opinion is they just pushed it off the edge and put it in a volcano. Let it shatter. And some ungodly, like, just some citizens who just showed up to the the last city. Oh, it's so beautiful. Crash. Crash. (laughs) What was that? Uh, The Guardians got done with their experiment. Science fair's over. Science fair's over. Ikora won. Everyone can go home now. But this one, it doesn't have so much... It's more of a a broad spectrum of what's going on. There's nothing, like, super huge. That's true. Blue, did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss about this one? Not really on this one. Um, No. No. Okay. Mirative? Mirative. So what oh is a mirative? Oh my gosh, this one sent me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I see um, that. I'm going to let you just take after this well, one. Well, okay, so this gets into this gets into the idea of um what is translations, like a translation of things that that don't translate into English and vice versa and all that. So mirative, like the, the base definition of mirative is it's a grammatical mood that expresses uh, unexpected revelations of new information or a surprise. Um, this doesn't exactly like mirative does not exist in English. Like it's not a concept that we have within our language. 
because English is what's described as a morphosyntactic uh, system. Uh, it's it's not something that does well with this type of grammatical mood. Uh, and this was actually coined, this phrase was coined by an individual who goes by the name of Scott Delancey, uh, and I believe it was earlier, but the main, ar- main work that actually discusses this is the Mirative and Evidentiality uh, article, which he wrote in 2001. And he says in the intro, he says, evidentiality refers to the grammatical marking of the source of evidence for a proposition. Mirativity refers to the marking of a proposition as representing information which is new to the speaker. Mirativity has sometimes been thought of as part of the larger category of evidentiality. Based on evidence from Tibetan, Hare, and other languages, it is argued that mirativity must be recognized as a distinct semantic and grammatical category. And then he goes on to say that the term mirativity refers to the linguistic marking of an utterance as conveying information which is new or unexpected to the speaker. Uh, and so he he kind of his primary example is the Tibetan language and how there is a structural difference in their uh, syntax uh, based on if something was intentional or accidental. Uh, and it was it's really actually really interesting, but it gets really far into the weeds as far as translating them. But he goes on to say and then he also talks about a couple individuals who looked at Hare uh, and then a few other languages that have similar things. And he also then goes on to say that mirativity is not directly expressed in the morphosyntactic system of English, though, as pointed out by Akasuka, it exists as a covert semantic category. However, it can be marked intonationally. Uh, the mirative intonation contour is an exaggerated version of the declarative intonation, which the tonic rise considerably uh, higher. So what that means. Okay. Yeah, just, so yeah, like and so a, a declarative sentence where. I have this ball of yarn. There's a there's a a, um, a, a tonal mm-hmm. uh, like pitches a, that your voice will automatically English, go. Whereas English, like a question yeah, will have English has a lot to, based on tone. Like there's a lot of implied context with English. That's why reading text mm-hmm. in English is surprisingly difficult because you miss a lot. Like English is notorious for this. Yeah, there's no infliction. And and we I mean, because I think what was it? I mean, we've seen this in Destiny with uh, Purple, with mm-hmm. our, our argument about the the war mind entry from way back in D1. Mm-hmm. And like she's like she mm-hmm. put a different infliction on the the letter A completely changed the card completely changed mm-hmm. the meaning of the card. And it's 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 interesting to see how that but yeah, so sorry, go for it, Green. No, I was just going to say the uh, the easiest example is asking a question mm-hmm. because oftentimes when people ask questions, how are you doing? Or how you or where's where does this place go? You have that mm-hmm. where the the end of the phrase turns up, but yeah, tonal tonal explanations. Yeah. It's interesting when when you do a voice study because I was looking at trying to imitate Morla she actually breaks so many rules. What? Morla breaks rules? No. She, Morla, rules oh my rules. God. It drives me crazy because I cannot, I can't figure out how she's doing it because she reads it in such a way that doesn't follow the normal English speaking patterns. Her interpretation so is different than what one's should yeah, be. Yeah. So even just like imitating what she says, if I were to imitate what she says, I can mimic. But if I were to read 
Eris' lines from the lore, it's incredibly difficult to do it in the same way that she would, because I can't figure out exactly what rules she's breaking where. (laughs) Well, it's even like reading or like misunderstanding a text message, like, we need to talk. Are you like, oh, we need to talk and like catch up or do we need to talk and like have a serious conversation? I'm in trouble. Right. (laughs) That's that's when I send back the gift. (laughs) I'm in danger. I'm in danger. Little boy sitting on the bus. But okay, so when Meritive, we were talking about at the very beginning how a lot of the titles are really good at explaining somewhat what's going Mm -hmm. on in the card. So in this card, Pradith is connecting with the Ishtar Academy group. Mm, Like he is. Yeah, he's connecting to them for the first time. And, well, not necessarily for the first no, time. No, it is the first time. Well, yeah, right, I see. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, no, it's not. He thought, it's he not. thought they were. You yeah. already said. You s- yeah. He tells yeah. the he hallucination. In, yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that. I love that introduction. He's like, what? Yep. Yeah, you already said that. What? So, when? <laughs> coinciding with, like, the Miratev explaining the card, um, I think it also explained how we took the card because we're all very, I mean, at least I was when I first read the word Pradith, I was like, what? Wait, hold on a second. Something's fishy here. Mm -hmm. And then I read it as if I was going back to no time to explain and listening to Pradith tell us about what happened and listening to his ghost kind of thing. So I think it also explained our interpretation of the card itself. I mean, Pradith now is cut off from everything. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have his ghost or anything like that. But it's... Is it Pradith trying to... He's getting a little lost in translation... Or is it just the fact that he's unsure of what's changed and why he's able to talk to them? Like, I'm still trying to figure out how it has a direct tie to the narrative concept. So I think, like, looking back at it, he was very, like, confident when we heard him back during the No Time to Explain um, mm-hmm. quest. Whereas now he's very, like, skeptical like, is this really happening? Can I take what mm-hmm. they're saying to truth? Or just kind of his interpretation of what's going on where he's at now. Makes sense. I think it's funny how he calls out, Veru's calling it out in chat. He doesn't have a fondness for Asher Mir either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love I love that. It's, Say again? It's yeah. not good. Praetis Radio is talking to him. Which at least... It, no, he says it doesn't. It's not a familiar voice. He says... Because he says he wishes it at least use a familiar voice. A Pahanin or a Teiko or a Kabir me. or even a Mir at this point. Right. But later... Like, okay, he says oh, his voice... Right, yeah. Fa- nearly his, his voice yeah. face, it hurts to talk. Say again? <laughs> the hallucination has a new voice. This time sharper. Male. Nearly mirror ish yep. The band number. 
Do you think I, that's Shin? Dr. Shim? Shim, yeah, I think so. But I just love his reaction. He's like, oh my god. Uh-huh. He sighs. Catalogs more constellations. And is, oh my gosh. The fact that he's trapped in the cell, which brings up the question, is he just, is it a cognitive trap? Or is it a physical trap? Is it yes to both? <laughs> I think it is yes to both because, yeah. you know, he's he's in the vault like so right. he is he is physically there, but he's also <laughs> chat irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a metaphor. Um, he's also ta- he's also trapped outside of time as well, because that was the whole thing. Right. He's yeah, he's he's literally inside the Vex network. Because that was the whole thing at right. the end is what they're trying to – that's one of the things that they're trying to get back. So if we move on to the next card, we get our first – I'm going to call it an interlude because it's completely not Praetith. Mm-hmm. Does Has anybody figured out – I've seen theories on it, but I, I haven't like fully bought into all of them with the Ks and Vs and the um I have no carrots. idea. This is like – yeah. I, for the longest so time, you know what it reminds me of? I swear, I was like, <laughs> I was, I was almost like, God, <laughs> Seth. <laughs> you, well, you know what my my brain went with the with if the K's were not in there, I could totally follow this because carrots and V's are used to notate um, down bows and up bows in music for young children. Okay. That was like the first thing my brain went to is that, and it talks about silent singing, whether or not this is like a notation of what he's singing. Oh. Oh, uh, you I know mean, what? I if know. this, yeah, that's true. But and I haven't seen anything as far as like exactly what this is yet. I I haven't seen any like hidden code in here because believe me, I've, I spent <laughs> about 45 minutes trying to find something. What do I have written? See, but it's you get other speakers in well, here too. But see, like that's you the have thing the is, is the Pajari connection there too. Mm-hmm. Is is uh, oh gosh, hang on, I'm gonna look something up real quick. Continue. I'll be right back. Okay, I'll just read the card mm-hmm. as best I can, and f- because it's a visual thing with the carrots and everything, it's gonna be a little difficult a little to read that. But I'll do, yeah. So Nomic goes, he is, he is not, he is walking in the garden. He is talking silent singing. And then there's like the little up carrot, K, up carrot, K, V, up carrot, V, up carrot, V, up carrot, V, up carrot, V. Parentheses. Watch your six. Don't worry about me. Grow, grow, grow. In parentheses. He holsters his gun to gesture. He holsters his gun to drink. His gun is rusted into its holster, and he will never pull it out again. Parentheses. How bad can it be? How bad can it be? How can we grow, grow, grow? In parentheses. A titan is a wall, a shield, a cup filling itself to overflowing. The container changes the shape of its contents, but the con- contents change the nature of the container, and the nature is eternity. Parentheses. Who knows what's listening? It's listening. It's saying grow, grow, grow in parentheses. 
there is a shape that is his mind and the shape is to, is protect the shape is sacrifice the shape is parentheses grow in parentheses and then more of like the little carrots and v's in a looks like five times he was named too well he is his own grave and the cut on his left hand will never heal so fun fun callback to to uh pajari in the cut mm-hmm. in the um the hallucination back in D1, I guess hallucination slash not hallucination. Yeah, the vision. Mm-hmm. But there's multiple voices, quote unquote, being viewed here because you have the watch your six, don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple, it's almost as if there's multiple instances all being thrown into the same card. Right. It felt very, you- like when I read it, it felt very stagnant. Like, you're stuck at a point, but watching everything go on around you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He is. He is not. He is walking in the garden. He is talking, silent singing. I mean, it's like stuttering. Almost. Right. So the definition of gnomic, while blue is still continuing and everything, is uh, the expressed in or of the n- nature of short, pithy maxims <laughs> or a... Uh, aphorisms enigmatic or ambiguous aka this is going to be very ambiguous fun fact on this term we began to use gnomic which is the adjective form of gnome in the early 19th century around 1784 to be exact i like how you put around 1784 i wrote that like is a train of conscious thought so i was reading it and i was like oh they actually gave me the full date okay i'm gonna go back and edit that real quick blue 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 wrote this in a very gnomic fashion. This was used originally to describe a style of writing slash speech characterized by pithy phrases, which are often terse to the point of mysteriousness. This stemmed from the the use of the term gnome taken from Greek word that translates to know in the tales. These creatures were crouched in metaphorical or figurative language. Couched. That makes way more sense. <laughs> I was like, I went, I looked back after reading it and I was like, that doesn't make sense. Couched. Sorry. They're on couch. They're crouching by couches. They're drinking their brandies and being oh all mysterious. God, Smoke is billowing <laughs> that, in blue from a curtained oh, area. That makes me happy. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, see, so are couched in metaphorical or figurative language, often portrayed as being quite clever and always concise in their manner. Examples of some gnomic poetry are Know Thyself, Too Many Cooks Spoil the Broth. Where did that one That's come it. from? I've never heard that uh, one. It's, it's an old English one. Uh, it's also too many, like, too many, uh, too many chefs in the kitchen. You know, too many, uh, like gotcha. too many. Uh, I, I just blanked on the other one, but yeah, I mean, it's it's basically if there's too many leaders, there's that everyone's too busy leading and not doing anything. It's a metaphorical con, mm-hmm. like short yes. metaphorical. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Statement. These aphorisms were collected into works referred to as nomi- nomologia. Nomologia? I don't know. Which were anthologies used to instruct younger members of Greek society. One of the more well-known of these collections was compiled by Stobaeus, Mm -hmm. 
in the 5th century AD and remained popular into well well into the Middle Ages. Some I'm so annoyed that I can't here. find this. But anyways. What are you looking well, for? So there's a thing. So like the connection that I made, and I, it was like way back when we first started. I thought it was the Warlock episode, and it probably was, and I just forgot to write it down. But um, Pajari is actually uh, a Hindu priest, is the term, is also there. And they are responsible for performing rituals, including a puja, which is a, a, like a, a very specific or a very lengthy ritual, I believe. If I'm, I'm going off memory here, so I, I apologize if I misquote or if I misstate that. But the Pajari is the one who performs the puja. And. Um, and that entails setting things on fire. Uh, it entails uh, the you know the appropriate singing and all that. And that was where when we were talking about Pajari way back in D one, I had kind of read up on that, and I was like, that's really interesting because we knew at the time we had the warlock class, the Sun Singer, which is the immolation mm-hmm. and the self immolation, and then resurrection, and that tied into. And I, I I'm so annoyed at myself because I can't find my notes, but there was a tie in to an actual Pajari with the figure of Pajari, and it was a really interesting uh really interesting concept that was it was around the the igniting of a um uh it was a it was a it was something and i i'm so i'm so aggravated that i don't have my notes in front of me but anyways uh when you started talking about the singing that's where i was like i was Mm -hmm. like you know what that actually makes more sense because i'm still reading this as this is pajari talking um, because, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people say, or are attributing this to Kabir or Kaber or whatever, however you want to say K- his name, Kaber or whatever, uh, the, the milk stout drinker. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, when I read it, it's when I, when I see the part that a lot of people are attributing the reason that they say that it's Kaber that's writing this, it seems to me actually that's an outsider looking in. Because he says, a titan is a wall, a shield, a cup, filling itself to overflowing. It's not saying, I am a titan that is mm-hmm. a wall. It's, it's, it seems to me that it's someone watching that event and is seeing that transpire at, from an outside perspective. Because then he goes... I think that, yeah, I think the cut on the hand is the larger... I, mean, I, I that's my ending argument too is like yeah. yeah but then also when you say there is a shape that is his mind and the shape is protect the shape mm-hmm. is sacrifice the shape is grow like it's when it when it comes to the parts that is about caber it, there's always a third person uh, uh syntax like he holsters yeah. his gun to gesture he holsters his gun mm-hmm. to drink it's not I holster my gun, you know, um, though the I mean, it could it, be it could it be could theoretically right. And that's be. where I was going to say the parts in the parentheses, however, make me wonder. And this is where I can almost see this almost being a case where Pajari might have been in the vault with them, because, again, that's where the, yeah. again, the only reason I say that is because, again, we know that there was a fire team that went into the vault, but we only have three names. We don't know if it was a, a traditional other, six-team raid group. Right. The other thing I would argue is that Pajari, this doesn't necessarily mean in the vault. It's in the Vex network. Pajari has been known to be 
hallucinating because he's getting too involved with the Vex milk and everything like that. And he's been in the Black Garden. He's been in the Vex network. Yeah, and well, and that's so why we, with we, the original Shores of Time, it was Vex milk underneath. Right. Because I, I think we had that conversation there. Because I think in the new one, it's water, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It, yeah, because it's on Nessus. Yeah, okay. It's not in the. It's not in the. the Vex I, re- I think anymore. I remember us having this conversation because um, because right because that was the other thing is he. When we see Pajari for the first time, it's he's thrown himself off of the shores of time, which was a map in D one on off of point B. Oh god, off of point B. Same same as the one that's in current iteration. Uh god, point B was the biggest suicide leap. Um but like that was kind of the inside joke. But he was also a Thanatonaut. So he was he was doing it on purpose. Uh, to get these visions to record them and that was where he had the vision of the garden but the thing is is with the shores of time when you throw yourself off you fall in vex milk so he's he's committing his own suicide he's committing suicide but then he's ending up in vex so it's and then the whole connection there was with the vault of glass uh armor we knew at that time that vex milk was a very powerful hallucinogen so there was this there was this huge connection going on there as well. Yep, yep, yep. You want to move on to the next one? Epistemic. Uh yeah, sorry, Mr. uh I think it's Mr. Mikey uh says that he he was saying that it pretty sure it states somewhere in D1 that it was just the three of them going in. And I and I understand that because also even in here we see Pradith mentioned that there was only three of them. My my one mm-hmm. counterpoint, and I I'm not going to go on die on this hill, so I, I'll just throw it out there, and then I'm going to leave it. But my one counterpoint is is that in the same way that Pradith has been forgotten because of the way that he was erased, you could technically argue that the, there could have been others that were erased in the same manner. That Pradith would have that, forgotten yeah. the rest of his fire team. Well, that the that three of them could have been consumed by uh, what was it the 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 uh it's not the oracles it's Atheon? the uh, uh gorgons the oh that got lost yeah. gorgons yeah i mean it's just it's just one of those things where it's like they tried to three man there's too ma- there's there's too many whys yeah <laughs> or there's too many questions this is this is why Paige loves this entry is that it's yeah. she, it answers so much yep totally <laughs> I actually love this entry because it doesn't answer anything. It doesn't even try to answer anything. <laughs> no. Nope. It's just a fun read. And it is. And it when you say it reads kind of like music, it's almost as if you have um, that like melody line and then you have your harmony line. Your chorus, It's like yeah. two mm-hmm. different perspectives of the same thing happening. Yeah, a bit. It's just really hard to. I don't know. It's just there's. It's hard to pinpoint exactly one that's, what's going on. <laughs> there's one that is a constant worry, like a guy answering concerns. Yep. Watch your six. How bad can it be? How bad can it be? Who knows what's listening? It's listening. Mm-hmm. It's like the inner dialogue, and then you have the, the, not necessarily the thoughts, but the actions that are happening as well as the thoughts i don't know it's interesting blue do you want to take on the next one yes epistemic um so epistemic is a term that actually requires a bit of 
clarification. Um, epistemic is in itself relating to knowledge and or the degree of its validation. Uh, so to be clear, it's an adjective which talks about the act of acquiring knowledge itself. It is often, uh, very often, confused to be the same as epistemology or epistemological. Uh, epistemology is mm-hmm. the study of philo- study or philosophy of the acquisition of proper knowledge, and epistemological is the adjective that refers to epistemology. Um, so the difference is, uh, epistemic is actually the acquiring of the knowledge, the knowledge itself, or epistemology is the study of the acquisition of proper knowledge. So it's a very, very, very slight one. Um, but yeah, chat, chat's like, gotta love English. Um, this uh, this actually leads to the concept of the epistemic state, uh, which is the is the topic that discusses the guiding of decisions and what to believe in particular situations. Uh, so this is actually not stating anything about the actual truth of a situation, but rather what is believed or assumed within that situation. Uh, so this is talking about the experience of the individual who is having the experience, not the actual experience. Um, which to me makes a ton of sense, but I also have a lot of history with phenomenology. It's the it's the it's the perspective of what's going correctly. on, not necessarily what's it's going the, on. It's the understanding of the bias of the individual and how they are perceiving a situation, not the de facto true air quote here true situation. Um, and the the summary of this card really it kind of talks about that because this is Pradith discussing his various visions within the vault, um, and so he starts off actually, and he starts talking about he has <clears throat> he has watched from a cell for longer than he knows how to quantify, sitting inside looking out. He's seen so many different timelines; there is no way to tell which are real. From a certain point of view, they might all be. Um, and he goes on and he kind of talks about the different iterations of the different timelines. Uh, it says some things he recognizes. He sees the traveler often, though he can't feel its light through the bars of his cage. Sometimes it hangs over a city so familiar it makes his heart ache. Sometimes it hangs in an alien sky and foreign shapes make airy loops around it. Ghost of unrecognizable make. Some visions he gets once, while some come back over and over again. One recurring image, a piece of the traveler cracked off from its body, lying belly up in a forest with a small figure standing in front of it. The figure changes every time, but the sickly glow of the traveler doesn't. Once, he sees a vision of himself, straight-shouldered, warm in the Martian sun, standing between Kabir and Pahanin. Kabir's helmet is familiar. It's one Pradith helped make. He was a defter hand with spinfoil lamination than Kabir was ever was. Kabir has worn that helmet barely five years into their life as a fire team, worn it for six straight months till he cracked it in half in the crucible. That vision makes Pradith weep. Desiccated as he is, he he didn't think he had it in him. The vault shows him Mercury again and again, recognizable only thanks to the scale of the sun in the sky. Sometimes there's rubble hanging in space, a planetary ring still forming. Sometimes there's nothing but rubble, and when he turns, he doesn't see any of the other planets in the system gone somehow eaten down to the crumbs pradith wouldn't mind these visions so much if he could only feel the warmth of that colossal sun his hands are always cold here in the vault he sees waves of aliens cross the solar system's threshold emerging into the light from outside the heliopause 
Some of them travel with the air of eager conquering armies, paint fresh and banners snapping. Some of them move as if they're on the run from something behind them out in the galactic dark. He watches the movements of the Vex. He learns to tell them apart. The shining silver ones, the brass ones with back-swept horns, the ones with eyes glowing white. Occasionally, scattered among them, are pockets of Vex stained with verdigris, their arms trailing shawls of moss. All the other Vex keep away from those ones. Twice he's seen other Vex fight the mossy ones. It looks like the other Vex are frightened of them as much as Vex can be. Some timelines have veils drawn over them, a darkness too thick to see through. They push back through against Praetus' sights, resisting. All the timelines he sees could be true for some living being. He doesn't know which are true for him. He doesn't know if that's a meaningful question to ask. He asks it anyway, and he keeps looking. There's no reason not to. He's got all the time in the world. Do you have an interpretation on this one, Paige? So, hold on. Because there's a lot of information being thrown at us, so I kind of had to pick it apart. But, I mean, the biggest thing he points out is all those timelines could be true for someone. But I think the one that um, stuck out to me is when he's talking about the Traveler and it being cracked and there's a small figure standing in Mm. front of it. Like... Is that us when we get our light back? Did And did he see that as it was happening, or did he see it before it was happening kind of thing? So or there's a lot see, of like... Did he well, see it as all the Guardians who are experiencing Destiny 2 as different realities? Right. So I have a weird analogy for how, the, how I understand the Vex being able to see into the different times like this. Mm-hmm. You know the song, It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere? Yeah. That's what's going on. <laughs> there's there's always going to be somebody somewhere doing that. That's it's always going to, to be... It. It's, it's a really dumb, dumb way to capture it, is, it but, but it, it works. works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that this one really... I mean, it kind of bothers me because you do get the aspect that it's a physical location. That he's at. And he's seeing all these different things over and over. And the question I have is, how is he seeing these different things? Every time that we have gone into the Vex network or into Mercury Mm -hmm. or anything like that, we've we've been essentially reenacting moments and interacting with them there. Is he... In a simulation of it, is he walking through these different aspects? I mean, he doesn't know what is true at this point, necessarily. And it's hard to say what is true in general, just because Vex is not, they just don't make it easy on you. No, Vex never do. It's like... (laughs) It's like, is the Saint-14 that we fought alongside in the mission a true Saint-14? I mean, there's just lots of questions to go into it. It just makes you want to dig. Mm. Makes you want to dig, but there's nothing to dig. (laughs) I mean, there's pieces you can kind of toy with, for sure. I think the other interesting aspect of this is um, he... 
kind of sees how, um, like, the Vex covered in the moss. He kind of sees how... The soul yeah, devices. Yeah, he sees how they interact with other Vex. And, I mean, so, we haven't quite seen that in-game, necessarily. We've read about it in lore a few different times. Yeah, but we have done that. But we haven't, like, when we go into the Black Garden, we just see the soul mm-hmm. divisive. We don't really see them interacting with other Vex. That's true. My question is, is the reason why the other Vex so not kosher with the soul divisive the fact that the soul divisive is the grouping that was that reprogrammed itself to worship so in other words it's it's other compared to the other vex it doesn't the other vex does not necessarily do that right does it see it as like a a, like a festering wound to the vex almost is it trying to get rid of it i don't know blue do you have any thoughts no I mean, no, not with not that with one. this one. I mean, again, I think that, uh, like we had been kind of saying for um, f- for the rest of the other ones, the name of the entry really does a good job in summarizing it. Um, he starts he starts off, and it's very epi- ep- um, epistemic. Like he's just like he's just experiencing it. He's just acquiring this knowledge, and then at the very end, you kind of start getting into the more es- um, epistemological kind of approach because he's like okay but why like what does are any of these actually true like are the mm-hmm. do any of these actually matter and that's where he starts kind of transcending from you know the epistemic okay this is the information but why am i getting it why am i how am i getting it you know wh- what's the point of this information how what's the meaning of that um do you I do, think go for it he do you think he realizes how he's getting it or do you no, think it's I don't just think happening? So. I think it's just happening. Like I think that's part of the problem with him with his experience of this is he's he's a prisoner of the Vex and in the prisoner in being a prisoner of the Vex he's he's stuck with them and they see mm-hmm. time so differently you know we'll we'll talk about that here in a second but like yep. they they exist in a whole different level of of existence they they perceive things their their epistemic reality is so much different than ours because as a uh as a intellectually as a mortal symbiote or a mortal um entity we we experience time in a very set fashion we experience the transfer or the uh the progression of time very very linearly whereas a vex is arguably not that same basic and or base and so with their experience their epistemic of experience is that it doesn't exist that same way. So for them, this all makes sense. Like they're, they're perceiving I've, this and, you know, maybe he's just piggybacking on what they're seeing because he's in a prison cell and they, you know, he's, they just don't care that he's seeing this or, you know, maybe he accidentally broke into something. The thing is like, because the vault is designed for Vex, it's like you're, it's like he's stuck in an alien spaceship and the aliens don't speak English. I, I know chat was talking mm-hmm. about arrival just a few minutes ago. Um, and like, that's a really good example here because, you know, the, the whole concept of arrival is that in understanding the language, you kind of understand, you know, the, the, 
the species. Um, and that's not anything right. new. That's actually throughout a lot of sci-fi literature. You see that, but right. Point of order mm-hmm. real quick. Um, the, I, I think it's saying that the Vex experience time differently is it's, it needs to be fleshed out a little bit more in so much that they they don't experience time backwards or n- anything like that, but they, they're able to interact with time in a different way than we do. Yeah. And it still flows in as far as we can tell in one direction for them. Mm-hmm. Like it's still moving forward, but they can step in and out of it. Yeah. They're not, they're not anchored in the flow like we are. Correct. Um, correct and it's it's hard because there's like time itself is such it's such an artificial construct but it's also one of those artificial constructs that has been ingrained in humanity for so long that you know the the idea of um the idea of the time is just the idea of actions passing but but and being able to mark those upon us on a on a scale of some sort right yes and no like there is a like and, and this is where it gets kind of dicey because there is varying philosophies of how to tell temporal like temporal fluidity like there is there's mm-hmm. issues there's issues with that because time is a lot of people would argue that time is outside of things like time is just the way time is but that's not actually true time is something that it's very it's a very schrodinger like experience like if you don't pay attention to a clock you don't know what time it is like you might know that it is a certain right. point in the existence of something but your experience of time will f- will be fluid if you're and and this is often the case when you're enjoying yourself time time goes by faster yep but that's what i'm meaning is that you when you're observing it and you're marking it you are setting it onto a scale and in some ways elongating it rather than um when you're not observant of it and you're just having a good time and enjoying it, it is all the different actions are happening, but you're not making note of minute details within the actions necessarily and yeah. creating that elongation upon the mm-hmm. scale. It is just passing very fluidly rather than, I guess, I don't even know a good word. For no, this. I mean, and that's, I, and that's the thing an is image. like that. And then, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, you can also ask from certain time point for certain points of view, time passes differently because right. for you, five minutes might be, but for me, five minutes might seem like an hour, but, but it's based on your experience. Right. And then, but then if you have, minutes. if you look at a clock, technically speak, and this is where, this is the part that gets really difficult to like, conceive of because we're so used to having a clock that's telling us that tick 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 tick, no matter what you're doing it's that Mm -hmm. tick tick tick, you know and Mm -hmm. the idea that that doesn't mean anything for a lot of people for a lot of people it's very uncomfortable because it's like wait what like that is just an artificial construct that we've put into reality that says we're gonna agree that this is this is air quote time Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's that's not time. Like that's that's a a artificial construct to measure the distance that something has gone. But time itself is something that's 
arguably more fluid. It's 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 one of those things where it's like it's it gets so cool. yeah abstract. it gets really abstract really quickly because you're talking about very the I variety think. of experiences of a situation, and then you have to agree if there's a real if there is a real truth or if there's a set of truth, and relativism gets in and messes mm-hmm. everything up and. Yeah, and then and then chat's talking about the relativity to gravity, you know, like you have that whole that whole issue. Black Mm -hmm. holes and stuff like that. Um, the thing that gets me as far as easiest way to describe it, it's like looking at um music, the difference between like a quarter note and sixteenth notes. When you are observing it, it looks like it's taking up so much more space on the page, which it does, but it's actually the like you could have the same amount of time pass between the two of them. Just one's broken up into sixteenths and the other one's broken up into just a quarter of it. A beat versus four within the beat. Anyway. Moving on, perhaps? Yes. Please. <laughs> like Before I, I we love get down I love any like, like never like, ending I, loop of time. I, I love <laughs> talking about this stuff because it ties into uh phenomenology and that ties into like an individual's experience of something Mm -hmm. but you have Mm -hmm. to like before you can start really seriously talking about that construct you have to also like come to an agreement with everyone that's in the conversation that everyone's experience is equally valid with the understanding that everyone's experience is unique and alien to the other and so also what was equally invalid in right, that respect. No, right. And, and that's, and that's mm-hmm, something right. that um, with like, we, we always took it in regards to psychology. And so phenomenology from a psychological standpoint is really helpful. Uh, phenomenology from a philosophical standpoint gets really hairy, really fast because it starts, it, it can dovetail into very dangerous topics as far as, especially with morality Um and mm-hmm. and stuff like that but like the thing is is like it's still an interesting thought experiment but i would probably i mean like we would be here all day because you right. can you know, it's just it's 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 fascinating but it takes a so long to discuss because every point of view is something that is equally valid and equal equally worth exploration even those that mm-hmm. don't make sense or are uncomfortable actually sometimes those are more important to explore so and that's where the like epistemic and epistemology kind of that's where the difference is epistemic is like the actual acquiring of that which is again kind of where we're kind of to bring it back into this entry epistemic is pradith is acquiring this knowledge and he gets into an epistemological standpoint at the end when he asks what is the point of this how am i getting this what is valid here that is an epistemological question about the epistemic image or the epistemic information that he has to, that he has gotten if that makes sense yep so deontic uh yes please uh so back deontic. to philosophy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like back to your favorite topic oh my gosh <laughs> the ansible is a thought experiment it was proved impossible oh, this one this one actually from a philosophical standpoint is really easy to explain uh 
deontology is a normative ethical theory that is posited within what's referred to as moral philosophy. And it basically says that morality of an action should be based on whether or not that action itself is right or wrong under a series of rules. Uh, so, so instead of based on the consequences of the action. So in, in kind of a short term, it says ignoring the idea that the end should never be used to justify the means because the means should justify the means. If a mean, if the end justifies means that require a sacrifice of doing what is right to achieve that end, that end is in and of itself not ethically acceptable. Um, okay. And then link link. It's the do good because you're doing good, correct. not necessarily yeah. because it's going to you, get you a cookie at the end of the yes. day because you didn't make the teacher uh, mad. The the uh, it's it's not allowing. There's a lot of like. There's a lot of historical examples of like, oh, the ends justify the means. You know, we'll do these atrocious crimes because in the end we get, you know, fill in the blank of whatever BS reason you want. The The argument of uh, deontology is that that should never be acceptable. Uh, it should be that you are doing the thing that is right and that is just and is good because it is right just and good it's not because you 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 don't get you don't get a pass on yes i'm i'm trying so hard not to say that green um you you are you you don't get a pass for doing something stupid or evil because you argue that the end is good like it can't be good because in order to get to it it you have to do evil right does that and Mm -hmm. and that and that's an argument that is very, very, very divisive on moral theo- or moral philosophy, uh, because obviously the people who are calling the ends that justify the means don't like that being pointed out, and so yeah, makes things difficult. Oh, so, in this a linguistics card... standpoint, real quick, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. From okay, a, go for from it. From a no, linguistic standpoint, uh, deontic is just simply expressing duty or obligation. So it's it's again, it's not using ethical. It's just saying it's it's this is your duty or this is your obligation. I'm done. Thank you, Green. <laughs> You're welcome, Blue. So this card's fun because we actually get conversations with some of the Ishtar team, and you get a little bit more of the lovely Dwayne. Lovely, lovely Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Pradith is working with them essentially in this one to, they're kind of debating all the different aspects going on, as well as can he create a radio to, to call out? Oh, yeah, that's can right. Can he create yeah. something with what he's got? So he's got a few different things um, laser pointer, focusing crystal. <laughs> Out of his Amalon rifle, which he still has his rifle, which is interesting. I just love the fact that he he acknowledges that Dwayne McKnight is his own worst enemy. Yep. <laughs> I think it's the. I think my favorite line it is in this one is, "Do you remember the first thing we saw the Vex do? Go for Maya's throat? No, jump into that frame, clear through the air." It's just like, okay, guys. <laughs> just, I just love how one of them is so cheerful. I just remember uh-huh. reading the vex cards or the vex grimoire cards and putting little voices to each of 
the Ishtar characters, and their their personalities are so distinct that even just reading a line without knowing who it was afterwards, you're like, oh, that's that person. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of nice it's to just- see that again in this entry. It is interesting. And it's interesting to see what this group is doing, because mm-hmm. this is either 227.13 or 227.204. He's he's not sure which one, but they're all working together. And, and we do get some clarification about um, their the Ishtar team themselves, not infinite mirror variations of them from different timelines, but simulations all split off from the same base. So he's figured out that they're not, it's not like Osiris. Right. It's simulations split off from the original. Although Osiris is. Yeah, except Osiris has a multiple man <laughs> problem in. Yeah, he I does. love the presentation of that. Yep. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot in here that I would say is like super, super needing to be called out, except for the fact that they're trying to build this radio out and they're using, he's MacGyvering it. <laughs> God, I love That's it. The best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, it does briefly talk about losing his ghost. Which I mm. kind of thought was a nice full circle after finding his ghost, but it wasn't like extremely significant to. <laughs> that was the one we took back to Lakshmi, yep. wasn't it? Yep. Yep. The one that she was like, "Who is this? What is this? Why? Are, why mm. are my signatures on this?" Yeah. Why do I? And she's just. She's like the old lady. Why do I? Why is this familiar but not <laughs> at the same time? What is going on, guys? All right. I think we should move right along then, because I don't see too much going on in this one. Uh, Oh, it's our favorite. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. Time. Tag blue. now! (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Italic is a quality of a verb that shows an action as being incomplete. Uh, so like kind of I had mentioned, whereas telic verbs uh, indicate or refer to events that have endpoints, atelic verbs refer to events or states that don't have endpoints. Um, from a linguistic standpoint, this can launch into a critique that every state or event in the world begins and ends at some point, with the exception of states that can be described along the lines of existence of the universe. Uh, which basically this critique ultimately results in serving as a reminder that linking linguistic semantics to the real world is a futile attempt without considering the intermediary (laughs) agent of human cognition. Uh, AKA it is like time itself. There's no end. Just don't. And stop trying. Um, <laughs> Basically, it's also argued that atelic verbs are those that do not involve any goal or endpoint and denote actions that are realized as soon as they begin. So, the example that a lot of times you'll see for the atelic is the is the sentence "She is walking down the street." Uh, the action walking has yet not 
not yet been finished. So it is a action that is incomplete. She is she is eternal. And the point from a linguistic she is continuing to yeah, do the so. The point from a linguistic standpoint is in that sentence. That sentence, as of itself, as it stands, she will never finish walking down the street because. You know, but then if you enter into with it's, that's where they refer to the intermediary agent of human cognition, because when we read that sentence, we understand, OK, she is walking down the street. Eventually, there will be a conclusion to that, but it's not going to be in that statement of it itself. Action. Uh, yeah, verbs. fun. Um, which then we tie into that is kind of the explanation that is here with the Vex in the garden um, and the explanation of time. So this is also, I, I'm still really happy that Ishtar linked Tevis to this card too, because that makes me feel better about my initial reaction. Um, you want me to just read this card? I think this yes. is, because this yes. is, I just love Tevis. I just love <laughs> this Tevis. This is my favorite card. Um, so it says, describe time. No, really, give it a go. You're going to say something about a sequence of events, aren't you? Seconds sliced off a clock, marching one by one off into infinity. Go ahead. Use your metaphors. A line, a loop, a flat circle. Heard someone say time was like water once. At least it was novel. The Vex, they're the closest to understanding it. They've got distance from it. If time's a river, then we're fish and they're diving birds. What's wet mean to a fish? What's it mean to an osprey who's never fooled by refraction on the water's surface? Hold on now, you're going to say. This is getting a bit abstract, even for the bodiless echo of a dead guy in the garden. You want concrete truths? Something simple, digestible, a story to keep the dark out? You want time to be a staircase we keep climbing forever. But hey, even a guardian skips back a step or two now and then. Die with your ghost in range and it'll just pop you back to before that bullet, give you the chance to make a fate you like better. Nothing's been simple on Earth since that big white cue ball rolled up in from the next neighborhood over. And the stories, they don't work too well as a nightlight anymore. You're going to say, the tra- but the Traveler is our friend. The Traveler likes us. It gave us a golden age and garden worlds and guardians. You're going to say, you wouldn't be alive without it, Mr. Big Shot. Without it, I wouldn't be stuck in the black garden making bets with myself on which goblin's going to be the next to slip on a soggy leaf and fall off a cliff either. You took my light already. You better take my advice. I know the void's still calling, but I've come untethered. I can't reach it anymore. So if I'm right that I can reach you, you keep your ears open. I don't care how much you hate hearing it. This is important. The Vex understand time in a way we never will. Doesn't matter how long I spend here watching them. Doesn't matter how many jury-rigged portals guardians fling themselves through. We live in time. They use it as a tool. Any moment that's ever happened, any moment that will ever happen, they can go back to it, play it again till they get it right, simulate it. The lights, a counter to that. They come back, a guardian comes back. They simulate an Indian, er, they simulate an ending, a guardian tears through it. Stalemate. But the Vex in the garden? They bend the knee to the garden's heart. It gives them power till you got lucky. The Vex outside? They made a different calculation. They run. But the Vex inside make the same deal you make every day of your unnatural life. And who's to say that deal won't start paying off for them again sometime soon? You can't understand the Vex, and you don't want to understand the heart. But is your ignorance any more forgivable when it's willful? Lots of questions and not a lot of answers. Better take care, or you'll drown in them, surely as you'll drown in time, whether it's anything like a river or not. You see? 
I love that card. So I just love Tevis. Like I just, I just, I can't, right. I can't oh, no. not read that with the te- like with Tevis's like with the snarkiness. Oh my god! Like I just, I hear him like with that that old elderly growl in the voice. Like ah, uh, and the solar quote that you guys had said earlier was just mm, mm, mm-hmm. perfect. So the sole device of making the same deal with the dark side, the darkness, that we make with the black the heart. Mm-hmm. That's always a that's a fun thought experiment as to why the Vex that are outside are running and why they don't know what to do with the soul divisive. Also, within this one, the fact that he mentions that guardians step back at a that time or two. That threw me for a loop. Do you, so it's actually not hard to think about. Like normally, when you die in like mm-hmm. a strike, when it's not a darkness zone, you don't go back in time. Because you, the enemies that you killed are, are are still killed. But if you're in a darkness zone and everybody dies and you wipe, you go back and start over. Well, but you could also argue so those that are the you go back in time, about. but the time is like that you're you're mm-hmm. stepping backwards yeah. and you're actually your personal timeline is being converted, but you're not affecting the abstract timeline. That we are. Stepping out of the stream and going back in at a different yeah, place. Yet at the same time, those their perspectives of time is still going in the same rate before. Yes. It's like when you when you read like in comics like, you know, speedsters, they experience things mm-hmm. as going slow. Or they they experience things as a normal time, like uh, Flash will like they do this a lot with Flash, but they'll show it from his perspective and like he's doing things at a normal pace for himself, but he has, he has expediated or expedited his, his body. And so from an outside perspective, it's super fast, but to him, it's just normal. Mm -hmm. Like it's just normal speed. Is there anything else within this one besides just the fact that we're getting scolded by Tevis and we've does had there, the time does conversation there need to a couple be different yeah. times? Like, does there need to be anything else? I don't think there does. I really don't think so. I do so. think, though, so, if that move. was delivered in any other way besides, like, the snarkiness from Tevis, I don't think it would have had as much impact. I don't think we would have believed it was Tevis. Right. But, uh, Joseph? A Joseph is expressing a command. Joseph subjunctive expresses what the speaker slash writer believes should be done in the second or third person. This amounts to a command or pro- prohibition when seen in first person. This usually is called a uh, horatory, horatory. I don't know what that is. Horatory subjunctive, which is a form of the verb used to incite or encourage. So Yay Latin. Yeah. Expresses when it should be done now. Is that a good yeah, Joseph? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm in danger. I see. I'm in danger. <laughs> That's all I hear when I hit now. Oh no. So this is the card where it talks about the pulses. The pulses from outside the vault come quicker now. Mm-hmm. 
More copies of the Ishtar Collective team arrive using them for a boost, leapfrogging in from the dark. Their messages are getting out there, out to the ends of the Vex networks. The pulses are getting strong enough that Shim thinks they have a chance to boost data even beyond the network to physical reality. Whatever physical reality means to them and to Praetith at this point. Lifetimes deep in the Vex projections. Praetith is attuned to the rhythm of the vault. When another pulse lines up with that momentary weakness, that lets his radio work. He pushes a message through. It doesn't bounce back. It has gone through. He whoops raggedly. A dozen Ishtar collective scientists return the cheer. They start to send messages scattershot wherever they can. Whenever the pulse climbs high enough to boost their signal, that works for a while. Then the pulses get too strong, strong enough to destroy the integrity of the messages. Instead of skimming along the top, riding the wave, the messages tumble through it and shake apart under its power. If they're getting strong enough to unravel data, it could be they're getting strong enough to carry something heavier than a pile of code. It's worth a try, Praetith thinks. Anything is at this point. Something is coming, a tidal wave shadow looming over every timeline he can see. Its peak rises sharp over the earth, breaking the Terminator's arc with a deep, deeper darkness. The city can't escape it. Praetith carves messages into the last functional pieces of his gear, anything that can serve as a bottle for his messages, thrown out on time's ocean. And what does a guardian pay more attention to than their equipment? They'll catch someone's eye, someone... He knows the wave is coming. More visions flicker past him now, burning after after images into his eyelids. More timelines, a possibility or eventuality he doesn't know, lost to the encroaching dark. He knows they won't be able to handle it alone. He knows they need a warning. They need to know it's coming. Soon. So I have a question. Our first instance with No Time to Explain is probably one of these messages as well. With the way that No Time to Explain happened. Right. But if he's worried because about... the flavor text on No Time to Explain is a single word is etched onto the inside of the weapons casing. Soon. But yeah. what is soon, I guess, is the main question from Correct. that. Is he talking about the darkness coming? Is he talking about the pyramid ships? Or it, endless questions of what it's, I mean, it's unclear at this mm-hmm. point, but whatever it is, he's, it's interesting too, because he's had these various visions of different timelines, but he hadn't seen this. So whatever we have done so far has started triggering possibly this aspect to start happening within the Vex timelines. Like we're triggering these events because he hadn't seen them before. Are we capable of altering the timeline because of our paracausality is which if saint is any indication we are blue any thoughts on this guy i think you're right on there because as a paracausal entity it's a matter of what is stronger in this regard like you know how Mm -hmm. big of a how big of how big of a scope is the causal forces against which our paracausality will be pitted against? You know, it's one thing, it's one thing for one person to, to kind of hop skip a little bit here and there. It's a whole different thing to change an entire, you know, Titanic worth of direction. And I think Mm -hmm. that's going to be, again, I think that's where we're going to see season of dawn 
start to kind of answer that question is, you know, and then, I mean, also the question too, is like, remember that it's not just one guardian. We have an army of guardians. So if, you know, is there a way to channel all that paracausal capability, you know, Here's my question is, is the reason why it's happening now? Because there's been guardians for quite a long time, even with Praetith and uh, Pahanan and Pajari. Um, is it because our guardian is affecting other paracausal forces within the, the universe that this is causing the timelines to adjust? Because if it's not, because guardians are always that that extra factor anyway right so everything a guardian does could theoretically change the the course of time but because we're also affecting other things that are paracausal as well although the undying mind isn't necessarily paracausal it's just because it's outside of time within the networks and everything until we start dragging it into the black garden during the vex offensive also, how do we know we have all of them killed? How do we know we have all the undying minds killed? Ikora said so. Mm -hmm. Why would she ever lie to I us? I don't. I don't. <sighs> <laughs> That's what I have to say to that. Do we actually know? <laughs> all of them they could monitor. Veru, Veru caught yeah. that too. So there may be more of Bex minds undying minds out there that we just couldn't right. see or couldn't no, monitor. That would be silly. There could be infinite possibilities like I said, in infinite depending space. on the model of multiverse <laughs> that we're operating on. Right. Yeah. Um, just like my a side note when we were talking in the intro session, um, this is where I started questioning when is this actually happening? Because I, they yeah. talk, because they talk about kind of hinting at the no time to explain with the soon part. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, to us, we got that years ago. So is this something that he saw now, and so he sent that to the past to warn I'm us about something, or? I mean, we just gave Saint Fourteen the shotgun that Saint Fourteen gives us in Curse of right. Osiris. We had a full-on argument about that in our clan, by After the way. We After we had to remake it, <laughs> even though it's sitting in our vault. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's made with love. I'm like, where are you going with that, Green? I mean, I mean. <laughs> made with love. For Sainty. Uh, okay, so yeah, we break time a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're just learning to step a little well, bit, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Do you want to talk about how Maya Shim and Dwayne McNai step in the volative card? Oh gosh. Oh. That's just this one. <laughs> Volative, no, this is, denoting yeah. a verbal mood that expresses a desire. In certain languages, this is a verb form which indicates that a certain action is willed, although it may not be performed in fact, a.k.a. you can wish to do something right the first time, but it may not happen. 
and poor, poor Maya, Shem, and Dwayne. Here's how it goes. You and Maya and Shim and Dwayne McKnight take your first cautious sliding steps out of the into the Vex information network. You get your footing. You've got to translate everything into metaphor to understand it. Here and this is like tightrope walking on a grease line. You and Maya lean into each other. Shim slips and you help him up. You explore. You go on. And basically there's like multiple versions of this. Um some where you lose Dr. Shim, some where you lose Maya. Um, it's not a fun kind of thing. Maya gets lost yeah. a lot, apparently. She's really bad at following directions or reading maps. Is that, I mean, is it no, maps? I just, or I just love just... the fact that she's the one that constantly gets lost. Like, I'm like, yeah. seriously? Listen. It goes listen. back to what you were saying, Blue, where it's like, as soon as they split off from each other, like, yeah, they're the same person, but then it's like they almost have their own destinies when they split. Yeah. Or they yeah. make I mean, their it's, own it's paths. The, it's the multiple, multiple, man, multiple man error, which is what I refer to. There's there's a guy, and I think it's Marvel, who's called Multiple Man. He's, he's able to split himself into multiple people or multiple iterations of himself. The problem is, is that mm-hmm. once they're split from him... Like they were him at the moment of splitting, but then, and, and you see this also with, um, they're all, yeah, their they, they, own they, be, they develop their own personalities. And there's a point in the comic where actually it goes like years and he doesn't bring them back. And there's one who like rebels against it. And it's this huge thing. And then, like, in, uh, this, this recent one, uh, we have an instance where one of Osiris's projections, uh, I think commits suicide. He kills himself, if I remember correctly. And Osiris is like, really? yeah, there's, it's, it's either he kills himself or he does something that he wasn't like, he's not supposed to do, but he, he, he goes against Osiris's like wishes. Basically he, he develops his own personality mm-hmm. and it's called out because Osiris is like, huh, that's never happened. Weird. Let's see. There's not really a happy ending to this card. No, like no. even like there's really not and is it from chioma's that's, perspective I, yes that's how I, I took it yes i really would agree with i'm that. reading it from chioma's mm-hmm. perspective too because there's a maya didn't like bracelets said they always fouled her work her hair had been getting shaggy again and was due for a trim she could never decide whether or not to grow it out she laughed at you lifting weights to maintain simulate or simulated muscle but she spotted you for spotted for you all the same which chioma was the she was the one who was kind of the bodybuilder back in the original cards wasn't she like she was the lifter back then too yeah i mean ver is talking in chat um you have to you've got to translate everything into metaphor to understand it here and this is like doing a for for rare for ray transform on yourself down the blade of a sundial. Insert interesting phrasing at the end. I mean, it's abstract concepts. Abstract concepts cannot be f- defined because language cannot accurately be created at the moment to define it. So abstraction, it makes sense that they would have to create their own metaphors to understand what's going on. But that brings us to the last card, which we kind of talked about at the very beginning, Irialis. 
Blue, did you want to go into Irialis a little bit before I just read and finish yeah, this definitely. guy so out? So Irialis, like I said, it's the, it's basically the bookend that is opposed to Realis. Uh, and it's it's a verb that is inflicted to indicate that a act or a state of being is not a fact. Uh, although only the only irrealis mood in English is the subjunctive mood, some other languages include additional irrealis moods, including cohortive, jussive, speculative, and optative. So we, we talked about jussive a little bit above. Um, the example within English is the phrase, it is necessary that he work. And what that refers to here is the desirable state of affairs, not the reality of the fact. So in this situation, in this example, the subject, he, could be refusing or rejecting to work, thus the subjunctive mood of work. So you you don't have working, you have the just the tense work. Um, Whereas with a realis, the statement would be he is working. This one is he the uh, just one. I just scrolled away. It is necessary that he work. work. Like it, it, it's, it's a, um, it's something that's not currently happening. So therefore it, it might not happen, but it it should, well, it's, it's the desired state. Well, desired state of the intent of the phrase. Right. So what is the non reality of that we're going to, um, I think that it's really the 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 next line like after the after the last line here it's it's a matter of you know it's they are always i mean i'm going to jump to the end they are always stepping through so the the desired Mm -hmm. end is that they stepped through but they're not stepping through or they're not they haven't stepped through they are stepping through which is a really annoying sentence to say but it's the same as what we were kind of talking about with um the italic uh they they are mm-hmm. stepping through whereas the action of stepping is not yet finished and so the irrealis is that they would like to have stepped through but they have not done that yet they are still in the process of stepping so we will we we don't know for a fact that they actually succeeded on this uh what is it the the MacGyvered, uh, mm-hmm. what, what was it? The data, the data, the data transfer, transform. the USB stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it, Yeah, the easiest way for me to think about it was like making a bridge between point A and point B, which is very like dumbed down version of it. But mm-hmm. it I made like, sense I like the to fact me. that um, Chioma tells Maya that she's an angel. It's just, again, going back to Chioma as the, the weightlifter. It just made me, it mm-hmm. made me laugh because how big is a transistor compared to a pin? Are you calling me an angel? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a strange. I, just love I like. I just love them. I oh my gosh, they're ornery. They are super ornery between. So, the garden wakes, and the undying mind wakes with it. It rises from the burrow that has grown up around it, shedding vines and hanging moss like bedsheets. Circuits flood with power, pass the excess along to the next in line, flex massive limbs and boot sequences. Goblins write more circuits and wield them to the mind, building it up to take the advantage of the power. Not an occasional pulse now, but a steady hum. Their faith has been rewarded. 
In the vault, 183 sets of simulated Golden Age scientists flexed their own limbs, ready to make a break for it. Pradith, kneeling at his radio, shakes out his hands. They're stiff. He's stiff. Queasy with exertion and worry in a stack of lifetime and a stack of lifetimes in a cell, but ready. How big is a transistor compared to a pin? Do you know? He can't tell which Maya is speaking. There are 165 of her spread between the teams. Are you calling me an angel? <laughs> this is Chioma, amused. Pradith knows which team it is now. 227.72s. Chioma sounds hoarser than the others. He doesn't know why. Maya again. Would you like to dance? Dwayne McKnight snorts in a hundred part harmony and 80 shims grin and elbow him in the metaphorical ribs. It's a slim chance, but a chance they all need. The garden's massive doors hums an echo of the song the goblins sing as they tend the flowers. The first minotaur readies itself to step through, shield coming awake around it. Everything that has happened is, from a certain point of view, always happening. Everything that will happen is happening. If you know how to slice the ribbon of chronology thin enough, you can step through to the necessary moment, if you know how to tear it. A hundred and sixty Mayas reach for Chiomas by their side. A hundred and fifty-eight Chiomas reach back. One Pradeth, waiting for the conductor's baton to drop. Unaccountable Vex in the garden, waiting for the same event. A a synchrony none of them notice. Somewhere, a veil is always lifting. Somewhere, Kaber is always dooming himself. Somewhere, a door is always opening. Somewhere, they are always stepping through. Do you think that this is foreshadowing for an event that we're actually going to see? Um, I would like it, <sighs> it to be. Right? It might be wishful thinking, Do you think we'll get to though? return to the vault? I mean, I can see us going back to the vault for something else. Yeah, I, I think with all the Vex happening, we've had so many answers from the vault that there's a possibility that we could go back there to see if we can dig up more. But are we going to be able to read the answers, I think is the real question. Like, are we going to be able to see... Um, Are we going to be able to see the answers like how Pradith has seen them. Uh, Pradith, I think once Pradith walks out, won't be able to see it while he's not walking Mm -hmm. out. The Shim and them were walking out, but I don't think they'll have access to it anymore once they leave. But it'll be interesting to see if it goes on. Blue. Shoutouts? Final uh, thoughts? I mean, I think that's the other two is like the question of where is this? I think my, my final thought on this is where are they stepping out? Like, are they, are they coming, are they becoming real in Pradith's realm or are they all stepping out of the prison that is Pradith is in? Does that make sense? I mean, they're stepping out into the Vex network again from Pratis. Like they went from the Pratis prison into the Vex network and then trying to step out of the network itself. But, right, but where are they stepping out? Are they stepping the, out into his prison cell? Right. Are they stepping out into like the tower? No, no. Reality. 
reality is what it seems like into the vault. Right. Possibly. So, but I mean, I guess that's what I'm I'm asking is when they leave the network. Because I agree, I think that this is the Spelunker teams leaving the network. But right. Yeah, and see, Dino's kind of touching on it too. Is like, is are they trying to possess Vex, or are they trying to? create themselves like are they what are, i mean that's where my question kind of is is like what exactly is the goal here right like what is what's trying to what's trying to be done oh god right right the idea of them possessing vexes makes that whole cutscene at the beginning mm-hmm. of shadow keep mm-hmm. way way creepier well i mean it i mean i don't know like i that's the thing is like i mean because it also begs the question, is is this also Praetith trying to escape? I mean, I know he's probably trying to escape, but is he actually trying to escape, or is he just orchestrating this to allow them to leave the network and come into reality? Which then begs the question, which reality? Is it his, or is it, you know, ours? Like, what, what it, you know... Right. I don't know. Is it the reality in which Aldrin actually shows up, or are we just going to get that silly ship with him and pretty sure that's poor gonna happen Aldrin. in the dawning they did poor aldrin he they did such a good job with that card by the way like making you feel sorry mm-hmm. for him anyway i i don't know if the dawning if season of the dawn the the name of the season has kind of bugged me and it's like it's too simple too on the nose for me to think that it's just in reference to the dawning itself but the dawning of a new new era within the game, perhaps, right. or dawning of something coming back, or is it shedding like a the black light heart on something? Mm-hmm. I'm it's hoping just, it's shedding light on something because you know answers are really nice sometimes. I mean, we have a lot of interesting things pop up this season right. already. I can't wait to dig into constellations. <laughs> but. Beyond that, uh, shout outs for me as far as for this evening. Shout out to live chat who always, always keeps us on our toes, always keeps us on us, always has some great ideas as well as some great, um, funny moments too. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Vero. Thank you guys for showing up week after week. We really appreciate that. Paige, you got anything? Um, well, most of them have gone to bed, but shout out to my clan for supporting me because this they actually get me to get to listen to me talk with people of like minds instead of me talking at them. Yay. Um Yay. Shout out to my husband who's attempting to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> he gives me the eyes. <laughs> um but otherwise, just shout out for to you and Blue for having me. This was fun. Yeah. I like chit chat. It's been fun. I like. You know what I kind of oh. want to do, Blue? Oh, yes. And I'm I'm getting this on recording that this is something I'd like to do. This is not necessarily something we will do, but I like. I know we have like the roundtable with the quote unquote um, lore masters yeah, kind of thing, but I. Yeah, I'd like to do something with others that it's just not just like a live chat, but have like people come in possibly just to do like a let's chat where we're just discussing thing a little bit less mm-hmm. formally. 
but just kind of debating the theories and stuff like that and just randomly throwing out theories and discussing oh, them and everybody's ideas. So my first question back <laughs> mm-hmm. to you is, See, are we are we going to allow Rick on to that show? Yep. He wants to do that. He wants to do timeline talk that, with you. See, that's a Man- rabbit hole. You're, you're just, you've, you're going to push someone down the rabbit hole and it's never oh, going to end. <laughs> I know. I know. But the thing is, it's, it's man at arms. So why not put man at arms on the freaking show to talk about timeline and blow his mind? Think about what you just said there. Why not put man at arms on it? <laughs> I, I love his I love his Titans take on lore the daily. Uh-huh. I think someone someone made someone mm-hmm. was saying, look at a Titans take on lore. He's beaten down the warlock's synopsis into cra- into into crayon <laughs> size bits. I do think it would be cool I'm- to have like Almost like a debate team go on where you have to bring up your point of views and your theories and you guys get to either deny them or support them. I think that would be cool. Oh, gosh. Like a challenge, challenge the lore people. Yeah, kind of that thing. would be fun. Ooh, that gets scary. <laughs> um, I'm going to require a lot of phone of friends on those. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay, so picture that. That happens to me and the clan all the time. They're like, Paige, why do you think this? Or, Paige, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, but lore. (laughs) You gotta look at the lore. You have that crazy look in your eye. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Blue. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, one more big shout out to all the narrative team for Season of the Dawn and also a big shout out to I think it's Ariella, who was the author of this particular lore book. It's just amazing job. Uh, seriously, amazing job. Um, ooh, ooh, yes. Ooh, ooh. Shout out to the devs in general for all the QLR or yeah, quality of life mm-hmm. updates that we've gotten. There are so many different things that have just been changed slightly that is brought back kind of the old feel of D1, but also have kept the integrity of what D2 is. And I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Well, that and I mean, I was explaining to someone the other day just like how mind boggling it is the support that the Destiny devs give. You know, it's it's like if you actually think about it, we get a weekly update of of things mm-hmm. and we've been getting weekly updates for this game since since launch like they've never missed an update like there's sometimes it'll take a little bit longer which i mean whatever it's it's that's just that's just being in it but like there's always an update and i just think that that i mean when you stop and think about that 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 just really doesn't it's not very common in today's games and you know I think that should be I, I'm I'm really glad that, you know, on Game Awards they, they got that award because that really does it, it really is something that sets them apart and it just really is something that, you know, even as a casual player is really appreciated. I, I think that's just I mean, they just seriously they, they don't hesitate to communicate. They don't hesitate to yeah, dancing's talking about the community artist publicity. 
<clears throat> that's that's mm-hmm. freaking well, amazing. Well, not only publicity, yeah. just well, they sharing, the, the fact that yeah. you can buy like Moncus's yeah, shirt their, and poster. Yeah, they're sharing their store space with them. I mean, that's that's really unheard of. Like, I, I don't know any other pr- publisher that really does that. Um, well, their support and their communication throughout the Destiny community is just phenomenal. Yeah, it, it really um, is. It really is. The, even if you just follow like the Bungie help page on Twitter, it, when something pops up, they're not waiting hours and hours to address it. They're like, hey, this is happening in the game right now, and we know it's happening. We're working to fix it. Right, right. And, so I mean, that's, and that's always yeah, nice uh, to see. Yeah, it, it really is. So, I mean, but a huge shout out to them. They, I think they they definitely got the the award that they they earned that very much. So, I also love the fact that Luke nearly dropped it. Um, <laughs> I have not seen anyone mention that, and every time I watch it, I die laughing. Like I just like the look on his face too. It's just oh my gosh, it's He's so like, great. Oh oh oh, that almost. I'm like I'm, I'm tempted to because like of like. Was he actually playing, or did he actually nearly drop it? I'm pretty sure he's playing, but there's a part of me that's like, I don't know. But no, yeah, it's huge. I mean, huge shout out to them. Uh, but I, I don't have anything else. Green, did you have any uh, announcements that we needed to get out of the way? Uh, one more week of recording this month, and then Blue and I are going on holiday. But we should still. We're, I'm trying to think. Do we have something else coming out at the end of this month? Uh, no, oh, no, I don't. But if you do, what I am trying to do is I'm putting in, and I need to announce this on Twitter too to start getting questions for this. Um, I am trying to get together with a, a family member, uh, extended family member of mine who is a CPA. Um, I know that there's a lot of times around the New Year's, there's a lot of questions about what what you need to do to get ready for tax prep and stuff um so i'm actually going to be sitting down with him and kind of walking through just like some basic you know faqs so for content creators specifically um so if there are anybody out if there is anybody out there who listens and who has like questions um please shoot them over to me uh so that i can get them over to him so he can you know start preparing because obviously legality reasons um he just needs to make sure that he gives a correct answer and all that so if you do have questions of that nature um i will be putting out something on twitter here hopefully this weekend i believe uh about that so but yeah other than that i don't think i have anything else so as always until next time goodbye with that we'll begin to wrap the chat up Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.